everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I welcome in Farzad Rashidi, who is the co-founder of Respana, the link-building outreach platform that helps businesses increase their organic traffic from Google. He previously ran the marketing efforts at Vizme, where he helped the company gain over 20 million active users and pass 3.5 million monthly organic traffic. And we go deep down the rabbit hole of content marketing, and Farzad shares a lot of insights to help you with your marketing efforts and get more organic reach online. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation I have with Farzad. And without further ado, please welcome in Farzad Rashidi. Farzad, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm always interested to talk with folks that, you know, someone in your position where you're working for a company and then you decided to take the leap and the jump to do your own thing. And I know there's a lot of folks that listening in that really have that struggle. They want to leave corporate America or, or maybe they just want to build something on the side for the time being, see if they can do it. And I know they struggle with that. I also want to straddle the conversation. You have a lot of expertise in content marketing. I want to get into that as well. But can you start off? I, I think that it might be a really good insight in your story of you know, how you decided to ultimately launch your business after being at mm-hmm. a, a corporation and kind of working that nine to five life. No, that, that's a great question. And so just to kind of give you a little background there, Brian, have you heard of our parent company, uh, Vesme? I have, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so for folks who haven't heard of us, it, it's basically a platform you can go and create any sort of you know visual content for a business, like presentations, infographics, reports, and whatnot. And so when I joined the company, my I was the first marketing hire, and uh, it was also my first job in marketing per se. Uh, and and we were, I, my task was to figure out this, uh, I would say go to market motion for a brand new product that was built by a bunch of engineers and that absolutely no marketing done. So obviously, you know, I had a few routes to go and, you know, you're a sales guy. Normally the first thing that pops in your head, is go hire a bunch of SDRs and go door to door, start selling. Uh, but the problem we had, I wouldn't say problem per se, but wasn't the right strategy for us at the time because of the price point. So I think we we're, uh, selling subscription at like $15 a month at that point. Uh, so it was meant to be a product-led type of motion where, you know, we get a lot of volume in the door mm-hmm. and go uh, sort of expand, get more volume and and sort of drive down the prices to stay competitive to some of the other market entrants that were coming in. And so that it would make sense for us to have a sales team at that price point, as you know, the unit economics wouldn't make sense. Um, and paid ads, we exhausted that very quickly because, you know, when you're a software company paying or making $15 a month on a subscription, you're competing against agencies uh, and, you know, that they have a much higher lifetime value for the customer. And uh, what happens is that once you figure out one or two channels that work really well for paid ads, normally when you, you're like, hey, this is working great, sign of life, let's double the budget, doesn't normally double the conversions. So there's this diminishing return on ad spend. Uh, which at that, at some point, like your customer acquisition costs basically catches up with your uh, average or lifetime value, your customer very quickly. And we're like, all right, <laughs> so what are we going to do? And so what we landed on was basically our buyer journey was built in a way that was perfect for content. Uh, because, you know, let's say, Brian, you have a 
uh, a infographic you want to create for or or a social graphic you want to create for this episode that we're going to put out unless you don't already have a solution that helps you do that what was the first thing you do when it comes to finding a solution uh, to, to help you create this kind of stuff i'd probably go on google and just type in something of that exactly. nature right yeah 100 so first of all you're aware of the problem that you're solving right we know that you need to create something for, for this episode and two you're googling about it so, and, and that's like the, the two key questions I ask every founder to ask themselves before even they touch SEO and content uh, is that if, if answer to either one of them is a no, then it's stupid to spend your resources on that. <laughs> so basically- You mean, can I, can I pause you there? You mean if, yeah. if no one, you think no one's gonna go type that into Google to search for, it's probably not a problem worth solving. Is that- It's not necessarily that, it's that it's not the right acquisition strategy to begin with. Okay. Like, for example, let's let's take Brightly as an example. Yeah. It's an enterprise product, right? And I'm, obviously, you guys have word of mouth. I'm sure you get a certain level of inbound. But it's an expensive product that's sold to a certain ICP. Mm -hmm. um, it's very unlikely that person, I don't know who you, I don't know anything about the business, but I, I'm assuming just from looking at your website, it's not a type of product that I would go and Google to find and would... To convert into a customer, most likely the other way around. And based on my limit, very limited understanding, is that I would normally have a touch point with a salesperson uh, in order to get introduced. And most likely that would be the way uh, I would start going to market with that. Um, and, and I'm assuming that's how they acquired their first 50 or 100 customers before obviously building a brand. And now they get some inbound traffic in the door. It's a secondary channel. At some point, as, as the company gets bigger, you have to exhaust all channels sure. uh, as you can. Uh, but to begin with, as a go-to market strategy, you got to pick whatever is going to be the easy, low-hanging fruit stuff, right? Um, and, and that's the opposite of, for example, some lifestyle products. Say, like one of my college buddies, started an apparel company, as college friends do. And so he came to me, he was like, hey man, can you help me with my SEO? I'm like, no, this is not the right strategy for you because nobody's Googling like t-shirts for men with like certain kind of style. They're going to retail, right? Or they're see some TikTok influencers. And, and so maybe your uh, paid ads, social ads would be a way or influencer marketing would be a, a go-to-market strategy for you. You, you know, so you get the idea yeah. basically what I meant to say. So there's a very small subset of businesses that content and SEO could work as a sustainable strategy long-term. And, and you have to answer two questions. One, are your, pro are your customers aware of the problem you're solving? Are they actively seeking, seeking solutions? If the answer is yes, answer another question. Are they Googling about that solution, right? Mm -hmm. And if the answer to both are yes and Google, then it's almost idiotic not to invest in your SEO because that's how your customers would find a, a solution. And so your competitors would, would go and get rankings and they get the business. So we knew that and we we're like, that's great. We know that this would theoretically work for us. So let's go and you know write a bunch of pieces of content. So we hired a writer at that point. And nowadays people can just go and sign up for one of these AI tools and, and let them write blog posts and sure. build a bunch of landing pages, right? So within an afternoon, you can now create <laughs> a, a full-on content strategy from scratch. And at the time it took us a couple of months. It wasn't very difficult to do. It's just doing some keyword research, figuring out stuff that was not super competitive, but still relevant. And we'd write a bunch of content and guess what happened when we put them out? Nothing. 
absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It was completely, it was crickets. Uh, So, and it was encouraging, uh, discouraging, not going to lie. It's kind of like a slap in the face because we're, you know, we're a small bootstrap company. And I came in as the new guy and it was like, hey, let's go, you know, invest all of our resources and this thing. And, And then it absolutely resulted in nothing. And were you, were you just posting these like on your website or were you trying to share these out? Like how did, how did it get online? What were the the avenues? We put on the blog and shared on our social media. Okay. That's all we did, but we had no social media following. Okay. So that wouldn't get read. Even if we did, it would bring 10 visitors in the door. And then the day after it would get buried. Yeah. Um, and the, and the website would get no rankings for those target keywords because it was a brand new site, no authority. So there were millions of other websites. Let's actually do a little experiment, shall we, Brian? Uh, Do you have Chrome in front? Can you open a new incognito tab on your browser? Oh, gosh. You're going to put me on the spot here. (laughs) I don't remember how to do this. I don't do this often. Yeah, let's do this. I want to put you on the spot here. All right. Here we go. I want want you to feel like I felt when I I pulled this up. So if you open a new incognito tab on your Chrome and just go look up one of our parent uh, keywords. Okay. Uh, Look up presentation software, for example. Presentation software. All right. All right. Let's so you see how right below the, the search bar, it tells you how many search results you found in like however many seconds. Yep. How many search results? Yeah, are- 1.3 billion in 0.41 seconds. 1.3 billion. All right. I get 1.5 billion. Uh, and you scroll past the ads. What do you see as like the first organic result? Oh, hopefully it's Visme. <laughs> I thought this would be embarrassing. It, it is Visme. There's a couple right, there of Visme there. Canva's up. G2 crowd obviously is a. There we go. All right. Crazy. So okay. now let's let's take. So right now, I, I just want to uh, tell anybody who's listening to not fall asleep. There's some light at the end of the tunnel, right? This is not a, just a sob story. So right now, Visme gets over 3 million monthly traffic. And that's worth about a million and a half bucks worth of ads every month that we're getting for free. And, and I mean, free with a quotation mark, um, nothing's free. Uh, but as far as the, the strategy goes, we had to go through quite a lot of trial and error to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And so when there is a billion and a half search results for any key term, right? And obviously you could go after some of the lower uh, competitive ones, like, but they're still gonna be in the millions or hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. at a minimum. Nowadays, everybody in their grandmother's basement has a website, especially with AI tools nowadays. Uh, it, it, the, bar to content creation, website creation is zero. Mm-hmm. So how, if you're Google, how would you go about prioritizing these? Because like, how would you decide what content to prioritize first? Because over 99% of click go to the top five search results or top 10 max. Well, how would you prioritize it? You mean like as a consumer or just? No, as, as a search engine. Oh, as a search, <laughs> I have no idea. That's probably why they make the big right. bucks. <laughs> All right, let's take a little deeper in this. So I didn't know that either. So we were like, all right, let's 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 try to look through the history. So back in the late 90s, <laughs> the year was 1998. Okay, I'll, I'll keep this brief, I'll promise. <laughs> so what, there were a bunch of search engines. You know, there was Yandex or, excuse me, Yahoo and, and Bing and, and AOL and all sorts of uh, other search uh, engines. Google was not the biggest player. And problem with the search engines was that they were only relying on the content of each website to decide if it was relevant to a key term. So what happened was a lot of marketers, since we ruin everything, we would just stuff keywords on a page and it'll get up in the search results. So it would be junk, basically, whatever you search. So what Google did, they that one that 
the biggest market share in search engines uh, was relying on credibility and popularity to try to rank search results because you can't cheat popularity. Mm. You can cheat content on a page, right? Because it's under your control, but you can't control how other people in your space are talking about you and reference you. It's like how academic journals are like valued by however many other citations they get. Mm. So it's very difficult to fake that. So what they did was like, not only we're going to look at what's on your website that's under your control, we're going to also look at who else in your space that's of authority are talking about you, mentioning you. And we measure it out by these little links that is pointing to your website. And over time, now it's become to the point that's become very smart, that it only knows that only, I would say, natural organic mentions of your brand and, and your website throughout the web are kind of acting as a vote of popularity. And, and it adds on to the credibility of your website. And you, over time, you build this report with Google that, hey, I'm an authoritative resource about this sort of topics. Not everything, right? About these certain topics that we're an expert at. So then now when you're writing content about presentations, they prioritize you. Now, if I put a recipe book or some sort of, you know, my grandmother's uh, Persian dish recipe, if I put it on there, it, it probably won't get any rankings. <laughs> it won't get dominated by some of the tasty guys and some of the other cooking sites that have built authority over the years. So we're like, all right, that sounds great. Let's go become more authoritative, <laughs> right? Let's become a credible resource so that we start showing up. And it turned out to be a lot harder said than done. So basically, we had to uh, throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks again. So we were basically trying different experimenting with different strategies. And um, all of them required us to find relevant publications in our space that were authoritative uh, and find the right person who was in charge of the content and reaching out to them and collaborate with them with hopes of us getting a mention. And that was an extremely time-consuming excruciatingly difficult process that nobody really had solved by that point. Um, any Anybody who had solved it prior to us was doing it in a spammy way. So you can go on, you know, some agencies do this or you go on Fiverr and buy a bunch of backlinks and blog comments and whatnot. And it gives you a temporary boost because Google hasn't caught on to them yet. But it's not a scalable because next Google update, they catch on to them. They become smarter over time. So the only sustainable way of getting it is there's no cheating it. You can't really foresee the future, how that's going to go. So we had to basically build a strategy that would continuously bring in new mentions and uh, links from other authoritative websites in our space. And so that process was sort of uh, disjointed and manual. So what we did at Bizme was to put together the process that was working manually, put it into a software that we sort of jerry-rigged uh, <laughs> together. Isn't that how thing. it always starts, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was quite bad at the time, but it worked ridiculously well. It was way better than what we were doing manually. And so we decided to put it out as a standalone product. And that's how Respondent was born. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit. We'll kind of jump around because, you know, we've mentioned obviously SEO a little bit. We've talked about, you know, obviously with the backlinks and, and those type of things, give an idea of like, what are, what are bad practices nowadays that people are mm -hmm. still doing? And, and maybe you talked about it, stuffing mm -hmm. keywords and what have you, maybe that's, that's mm -hmm. still a thing, but maybe one or two bad practices and, and that might resonate with some folks. And then what are mm -hmm. one or two, like, what are the the top companies or organizations doing now that are kind of leading the charge on kind of the next wave of content marketing and, and search engine optimization and those type of things. Right. So 
bad practice is anything that's uh, this is a hack uh, because hacks are only temporary. And that's my years of experience is that, yes, you can um, create scripts that would do something uh, that would be a hack, right? So something that takes less than a week to do <laughs> uh, because it might give you a temporary boost. It might actually work because they haven't caught on to it. And then, but it's not a sustainable way of building a strategy around the website. The things that work are the things that are extremely difficult to do. And that's the that's the challenge we deal with every day is that, for example, what I'm doing right now, uh, just the example of a good strategy. Why? Because you're a, a popular podcast that's in our space that carries a certain level of authority. And we reached out to you and we're like, hey, Brian, you know, I, you had hosted another guest that was talking about topics that were relevant to us. And, you know, I think, and they, one of my colleagues pitched me to come, come onto the show and add value to the audience by sharing our story because this is something we could add value to our audience. And in return, what happens in, inevitably is that you're mentioning Respana mm -hmm. in the show notes on your website. Uh, you're talking about us and that sends a signal to the search engine that, hey, if Brian is vouching for his fauna and has had their founder on their show, this might be a re reputable resource. Maybe they are a legitimate company. And now when you compound these, and again, this is one out of several different, it's not to say, by the way, that I'm here just to get it back. From I get it, I get it. Yeah, you get the idea. This is I'm I'm doing this because I want to first meet smart people like yourself. Uh, to obviously anybody who's listening to the show has heard of Respana, so it is just one of those touches that you know basically helps me uh, have, get the word out about this small company we built, and also I just in, genuinely enjoy sharing our story and and talking and educating. Uh, so there's several reasons why I spend an hour of my time doing this. Um, but I'm just saying this is one example of a type of effort that would be valuable in the long run uh, in terms of in either Google or other search engines and whatever shape or form that's going to take in the future. Like next year is going to be dominated by a lot of AI snippets. Like, for example, when you ask it questions, it would generate. But guess where that information is coming from? It's coming from other web pages on the website, the top three searches. Yeah. So um, it's not it's not hallucinating things. It's coming up from the search. So it's just making it more user friendly for the user. So it's becoming more and more important now, especially with AI content being so accessible, um, to add on to your level of credibility and do things that you have to get other publications to vouch for you and promote you um, in order to get into training data and get up in the search results or get mentioned by these um, generative answers. So, um, so again, that, I can keep on talking for hours about different tactics and strategies, but none of these are hacks. None of these are, hey, get rich quick type of deal. You press this button yeah. <laughs> and it works. Um, so all of these are designed, uh, you know, and that's the reason why it works 20 years in, right? It's because it's difficult to do. Not many people do it so that the people that do invest the time and resources would get the competitive advantage. So would you say, and tell me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is the number one way right now to accelerate your search engine optimization is backlinks like like you're saying is to get on you know if i'm you know, i got brianandreco.com and i go on a mm -hmm. podcast or i'm doing a blog article and it's someone else posted on their site that's the best way right now or am i wrong there all right let me expand it you're not wrong but it's not the full picture uh so let, let's expand let's dissect that a little bit more um it's a puzzle it's like building a car it's like saying are is the engine more important than the wheels? 
No, you, I mean, you could argue, but it's, you need them all for mm -hmm. the car to run, right. right? It's the same thing when it comes to content and SEO. And that's why I discourage people from doing it in the first place, because a lot of people do it halfway and it just doesn't work. And they're like, oh, SEO doesn't work. So they just move on to other things. So unless you commit yourself, you're like, hey, this is the right acquisition strategy. So we have to do it. Now let's figure it out and make sure we do everything. Mm -hmm. in, in So doing just link building for a website that has a homepage and you put, you know, duct tape together some content, it's not going to work. It's not going to help you at all. Uh, it's a piece of the puzzle. But it's the most annoying. I call it the bastard child of SEO. It's, it's the most annoying, most difficult part of it is because it's not under your control entirely. You have to get other people to do something for you. So there's three pillars to any content strategy. One is the on-paid side of things, right? So doing keyword research, finding valuable keywords that you can add value to the users and that are not dominated by the big guys and carry some, um, I would say, commercial intent. So doing keyword research, writing valuable content, um, making sure, and, and then, you know, you can get into some more technical SEO side, like make sure your site loads fast, it's user-friendly, it's responsive, it looks good on mobile. Uh, all of that stuff are requirements. You can't do without them. And that's why Google keeps saying links aren't the top three factor. Of course it's not. It's never been. It's not the top three factor because if, for example, if that if your website takes 30 seconds to load, any, everybody who lands on it is going to bounce. Yeah. Doesn't matter how much how many links you have. Of course not. You have to do these. And these are it's like building a foundation on a house. You can't build a house on top of dirt. You know, you got to have the right structure of the website for, done first, and that's the most important thing. But that is no longer enough to get traffic. That's the that's the caveat to that, right? Because everybody else is doing it. <laughs> So when you have a billion and a half websites, and let's say you're in the top 1% in terms of quality of content, however you want to define it. I know it's subjective, but let's say you actually provide value, it's good content, it's based on original research and data, and, and your site loads fast and it ticks all the boxes. And guess what? Top 1% of a billion and a half, you're still in the millions. Right. <laughs> So how do you go from the millionth to top 10 to top five? And that's when links come into play. And, and links are just an indication of credibility and authority. It means that, hey, I can get other people to talk about me. And that means that my stuff is good, <laughs> right? Because you would never have me on the show if the if Responder was in a legitimate business, right? It's because you are, you would did, you you would duck your own authority by having somebody who can add value to your audience, right? So it's just a natural course of the internet is that authoritative people talk about each other and talk talk and, and reference each other. And that is why it's never been replaced by anything else. That they've become smarter, they can catch on to things that are not natural or organic or um that have been manipulated, but the genesis of it is still the same. That's that's the one of the main things that decides, okay, within the top 1%, who's going to get the dough? And again, this is a novice question I'm asking, but when you think about, so with the backlinks, as an example, as long as the domains, so obviously it doesn't matter if it's obviously a longer domain extension, if you will, longer URL, like to a specific page, as long as the main domain, I guess, is on there, uh, that's all that Google's searching for? So... 
Again, I, there's this meme in the SEO community is that they say it depends <laughs> with everything. There's right. this guy who has this like, uh, like little tape. It's a little hole in, I'm not sure if you've seen it. Anyway, so they use it depends to answer everything. And so I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. But let me expand on that a little bit. It's not a simple yes or no. So yes, in a way that it, having your brand and, or your homepage mentioned in other places is helpful to the general uh, domain authority. Uh, this is what we call the domain authority. It's a made-up metric by these SEO companies like Moz when they came up with it, and then now Ahrefs and SEMrush. It basically means how credible is your domain. But Google doesn't have a metric per se, according to themselves, to uh, basically decide. Uh, but it is they use signals about the authoritativeness of the domain as a whole. Hmm. And that's why, as for example, when Apple puts together a new page that has no links and then they just put it out, it still gets up in the search results because it carries so much authority. So yes, yeah, so that does help, but it's more helpful for targeted keywords. For example, uh, when you have a certain page on the website and you want that, you really want to get that page up in the search results. So what happens, and again, that's another mistake a lot of people make. They, they create a, a sales page. So let's take any business. For example, I'm going to use Brightly. Uh, asset management software. That's your main keyword that you're looking after. And so you create a page and then you tell your team, hey, go build links to this page because that's, that's the page I want to get up in the search list. But the problem is that no authoritative publication is going to just link to your sales page, right? Because that doesn't look that, in what context would anybody would say, okay, I actually want to link to their sales page unless it's like a listicle right? That, like top enterprise asset management tools mm -hmm. um, or certain instances where it would make sense for them to do that. But generally speaking, it's not a way that you could get a, a meaningful number of links in the door organically. So what we do is we create supporting content around it. So educational, informative pieces of content that are ungated. So you, you have your parent keywords, asset management being one, you create a sales page around it, asset management software, and then for each one of these landing pages, for any of your verticals, you create a, what we call a, a pillar of content, meaning, okay, about asset management, what are the questions people be asking that are, for example, how do I manage my assets in the enterprise environment? Yeah. I have absolutely no idea. I'm just coming up with this stuff myself, but you can, yes, you know, you, you get the idea. Yeah. So you start creating content pieces to answer the most common questions about that topic. But then each one of these content pieces are obviously a reference to your asset management software. Like, hey, you, you discuss, you answer the question, cater to the user intent. You're like, by the way, if you're looking for asset management software, you can check out Brightly and links to your page. But what we do then is to go and build links to these educational pieces. We get these educational pieces referenced in other content pieces that would, that would make contextual sense. Like if somebody is referencing, for example, what is asset management and you have a guide on hey what are some of the uh challenges for managing assets in an enterprise and then so it would make sense for the context of that article for them to mention and reference your content piece in that because it, it adds value to their content so uh having those links generated for each one of the content pieces that you keep putting out transfers what we call the link equity to your landing page because each one of these content pieces are linked to your landing page. So once you create content pieces, build links to them, it increases the authoritativeness of each one of these content pieces. Now, since each one of them are passing on the equity to the main page, because these authoritative publications that are on your own website are referencing your, um, I would say, it's kind of like the, 
the plumbing in the house, right? So you have the water source coming externally, but then you get distributed across the house. Right. And that's the same way. So this, that shower is your landing page. <laughs> so right. you get these pipes sort of, yeah. So basically that's the same type of structure. So it's a little bit more complicated, but it the genesis of it is very simple is that you basically you built the right side structure that caters to the buyer journey across the funnel. So you have the top of the funnel answering informational uh, keywords or questions. And then you have at the bottom of the funnel, your, uh, I would say, landing pages. And you have some stuff in the middle of the funnel, like templates, pages, et cetera. So like, uh, you know, you get a checklist sure. and uh, and they're all connected to each other. So now when you go and build links to specific pages on your website, then they transfer like equity across the web page uh, or across the website to relevant pages. So that that's sort of the the genesis of it. But again, doing that again is very simple because it's under your control. The key thing that makes a difference is getting other people to mention to you, and that, that's the most difficult part of it, because ninety nine percent of agencies or anybody you talk to is in the SEO space. They only ever rely on the on page and technical side. Why? Because it's our human. I mean, I understand from a business perspective, if I were to start an agency, I would never start a link building agency. I would always start on page content agency. Why? Because I can hire writers and with 100% certainty, they can write words on a Google Doc and it's a content and it's done. My job's done. I send it to the client and they're done. Right. <laughs> so that's why agencies don't want to deal with this because it's such a difficult thing to do. And we found that it's much better when you do it in-house, when you do it yourself, because that's the only way you can have visibility into the quality of the links and you know really genuinely the source of these because there's so much malpractice done in the space anyway i want to stop talking but hopefully i answer your question right yeah, no no right. that's i mean that's a that's a good discussion piece because again i think as we start there's so much content out there i mean there's just i mean it's ungodly how much content we have nowadays so it's like okay one how are you putting out the best content for your business but two to your point like how do we ultimately make sure that content is doing something good for us and from a marketing standpoint and kind of getting our brain out there? So I think being able to understand how to connect these links together is really important because you can't just have, as you're saying, it's not just, I like the engine and, and wheel analogy. Like you can't just have one without the other. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to kind of have this well-rounded machine um, with you. Well, good content, important. Yes, you have to have a good website, but you also have to make sure that other people are talking about it. You can't just be in a vacuum. Right. That, that doesn't do anything. Um, how are, well, let me ask this back just on the, on the SEO side for a minute. And I look at this from my website, but I'm just kind of curious. All of the, there's all these plugins. I use WordPress, but all these plugins where, you know, you can put in keywords and you can put in all this, you know, jazz back there. I think like, monster insights and all these other things. Are those even valuable? Are those helpful? Like, as we're talking about, maybe keywords don't matter as much nowadays. I'm just kind of curious. I've never asked that question to anyone. So I'm just kind of mm -hmm. curious of how important, like using those plugins and making sure all the information is filled out. Um, right. Any, any insights um, there? No, that's a great question. I mean, the, the thing is, I would always say, is it adding value to the user, the visitor? Like, for example, uh, we use Yoast as a plugin to have a title tag in the meta description because that's what Google uses to read a preview. So, yeah, we need a preview. So, obviously, having those filled out is important. Uh, doing keyword research is important because uh, there is an unlimited number of uh, different questions you can answer about any given topic. Let's just take asset management as an example. 
if I uh, run the seed keyword through any uh, SEO software like Ahrefs or SEMrush, any of these tools that have a keyword explorer feature, um, so that I'm I'm doing this right now, asset management, it brings up uh, so under search su suggestions, um, thousands and uh, of variations of different questions, different terms, related terms about asset management, thousands. So you have to have a system to prioritize these. And that's what keyword research comes into play is that you don't want to write content about stuff that nobody's looking up. So you can't say, hey, doing keyword research is not important. No, you have to know how many people in what countries are looking for what information to know what to write about. So having some sense of volume is important, but it's not everything because people could be uh, searching irrelevant things. So uh, at the same time, you need to make sure that uh, it carries some commercial intent. Uh, so it's not something about, you know, what is asset management is probably not quite as valuable as like, hey, what are some of the best asset management software tools for enterprise? So there are different levels of um, commercial intent for any of the keywords. So I normally like to measure them in terms of the cost per click for that keyword. Because if advertisers are willing to pay their own heart and cash for those keywords, it means they're making sales from it. So I want to get up to those search results organically because they've already done the research for us, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so looking at a cost per keyword, so a keyword that costs $14 a click, to me, sounds like a, a lot more valuable keyword than a keyword that nobody's bidding on. Again, it's not always the case. I'm just giving you rules of thumb. And at the same time, we also want to make sure, okay, you find keywords that get a lot of volume and have very high cost per click. It means it's a really, really valuable keyword. But guess what? It's dominated by the big guys that are spending millions of dollars to be there. So com competition is the third factor. Uh, you got to start picking out battles, like especially as a small company, when you just get started, you carry no authority or, or credibility. So making sure that you play within your league and find, okay, let's not go after the big guys yet. Let's see if there are other longer tail variations of that, that are not quite as um, uh, basically uh, well-served as some of the big ones. So uh, this three, I, I call this the opportunity keywords. So they get a decent amount of volume, low competition, high cost per click, and whatever that's overlapping. It's a little simple formula. Uh, so I have written a book about this, actually, folks, if they want to look it up, you can just look up VizMe marketing ebook. And it's a free ebook I wrote back in the day. Um, it's about 160 pages that sort of outlines the whole process of how we go about finding these opportunity keywords, how we write an outline. But then when, when we put together an outline, we know what keyword it is or the question that we're trying to answer and what some of the what are some of the items that we need to cover to make sure it's comprehensive. We stop the nerdiness there and we just pass it on to the writers and the subject matter expert and just let them write from the heart. Because at that point, you it, it's not quite as important how many times you mention the keyword in a page. No, this is all BS. But you need to know what you're writing about. So as long as you cover all the questions that people have that are asking and, and if you create a comprehensive piece that caters to that intent, that's all there is. So there, there's, there's a balance between how far you take the research and making sure your content doesn't sound robotic and you know stuff that is basically right. stuff with keywords. But at the same time, it's, you can't neglect that and just write from the heart and just imagine that people would come and show up on your website. That's not quite how it works. So, someone started. So let's let's take where you guys were at. You know, so we're a small business, right? Someone's starting a business and they're like, "Yeah, I can't compete with the 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 big guns out there." 
Um, I don't have the money. You don't have spend. to. Yeah. What are so what are one or two things they should be focusing on tomorrow? Like in terms of their content marketing strategy and how mm -hmm. they're going to get the word out about their business. So what's the best things they should be doing right now? First and foremost, everybody who's listening to this who knows as is the right piece, they're most likely are already doing stuff that I just mentioned about on page side of things. Everybody's doing keyword research, they're writing content. It's because it's so simple to do and it's so under your control that everybody does it. The thing that's gonna make it or break it and nobody wants to do it, and that's why the people who do it <laughs> uh, get to do is building authority mentions from publications. And there is a gazillion different ways in how you can go about it. Like being a guest on podcasts is one, one out of a gazillion different strategies. So we have actually outlined different ways and how we've seen over the years, uh, people sort of get most number of links with least amount of effort. And it's all on our website for free ungated, so they can do it. And lot, I, I would say 90 plus percent of those strategies don't require any software, any software. Mm -hmm not just respond, like anything. <laughs> so um, the reason why we exist is because we save time. So a lot of these strategies take a lot of time, manual labor to make it work and not to just make it work the first time, but do it consistently over time. So that's why, you know, respond sort of helps pour some gasoline on the fire. But if you're just starting out, you know, two weeks ago, don't go pay for these fancy tools, any of them, including ours included. So I would start with some manual average and we have a template library of best performing templates that we've, that we've worked. So if you just go to respondo.com slash templates, uh, we have plug and play average templates that is ungated for free. You can go ahead and uh, watch the videos, get it familiar to yourself with, with the, you know, what's just the strategy, what, what we were trying to do. And it will walk you through how to do it manually. Um, so you don't have to purchase any tools. And then uh, get a few handful of them in the door. And that's you, you're going to see that little tiny skyrocket start happening from the get-go. Mm -hmm. So every single page you put in, you, if you spend, it's a matter of, I would say, allocation or resources. doesn't matter how much resources you have. It, it's a matter of how, how you allocate them. Spend 20% of your uh, resources on creation. That could be writing content, building landing pages, 80% of promotion. That's how people do it. That most businesses do this in a reverse mm. uh, order. Uh, so every hour you spend on creation, you need to set aside four hours on. So if you have five hours in your day, you're like, I'm going to spend five. Spend one hour of that on creation, four hours on promotion. Interesting. Okay. And so we we spent disproportionate amount of the resources on promotion, and it's always been the case since day one. I mean, Respondent itself is a small company. Our marketing team is two, three people. That's it. And we still adhere <laughs> to the same ratios that are, as Bizme that has just 12 outreach folks just for off page. And then we have 10 writers and then we have editors, right, uh, designers. So they have a whole team of people that does what we do, but they just do it more frequently, right? So instead of putting out four or five pieces of content a week, we put out one content piece every two weeks. And then spend the rest of our resources on promotion, making sure that gets up in the search results. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of treating each page like a project helps instead of just, you know, hey, let's just start a blog just so we can check that, check off that check mark. It's, it's, it's a puzzle and you can't make a full puzzle without having all the pieces together. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's really great advice. Cause I think 
nowadays we get so enamored with, you know, we see Alex Ramosi or Gary V or these folks like putting out, it seems like hundreds of pieces of content a day. I mean, they have massive teams that are helping them and kudos for them for doing that. But at the end of the day, to your point, have one great piece of content and then make sure you promote and talk about it, ask folks to, whether it's put on their site or share it or whatever it is, I think that's a great strategy for a lot of folks. Because I, I, I feel like I get stuck in that sometimes. I put out a ton mm-hmm. of podcast episodes, I blog, do all this stuff. And it's like you're creating all this content, but are, are you getting it out to enough people, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to also remember, and I almost get this every single podcast I go on as guests are like, hey, how do I get my podcast website optimized? And a lot of times my answer is don't. <laughs> Uh, because the purpose of the podcast website is to get more listeners. Now, how many times did you Google and po- come across a podcast through Google? Yeah, not a ton. No, I, I, I never yeah. did. All the podcasts I subscribe to, including yours, I've come across because you either heard you on a show somewhere or you've interviewed someone of interest. So I'm searching for that person I'm, I'm, or I've, I've heard you on my favorite podcast. So being a podcast guest on other shows, because it's very difficult to change mediums. So if you're looking to get more listeners on a podcast, then go as a guest on other people's podcasts and have them on your show. Yeah. You can do a trade because you can introduce each other uh, to, to each other's audience. And, and so SEO is necessarily not the best channel for because nobody's Googling for a podcast per se. Again, it's not to say always, right? That I'm just thinking, thinking rules of thumb. But say, for example, for a, so, but there, there are different businesses for different purposes that are built. So I don't know exactly what the monetization strategy is, what the um, purpose is behind a blog. So for example, we have uh, websites that have like Adam Amfroy has a very successful podcast and, and, and community. And his main source of revenue is he sells courses. Mm-hmm. Um, now, people do look up those things on Google. So he wants to get his SEO in shape, and he has, and it gets over a million visitors a, web, uh, a month, and and you know, so you get the idea. So it's not to say prescribe this prescription for everybody, yeah. uh, but it's it's kind of looking internally first, not to just blindly do SEO, you know, quote unquote. The first understand, okay, who am I catering to? What's my ICP or what's my target audience? How are they finding us currently? And how would they normally find new uh, opportunities or, or new products or services or podcasts, or in this case, uh, followers? Um, and, and then follow those steps, cater to the buyer journey. Yeah. <laughs> so very simple. Uh, and that, that's, again, I, I know absolutely nothing about the purpose of the website, obviously your goals, and it's not to, it's not to say you shouldn't pursue it, but I just wanted you to kind of keep that in mind because it's a lot of time and effort wasted if you don't kind of take some of this into consideration at the beginning. Mm. This is a, this is really good. Uh, a lot of good insight here. Any Anything else you're thinking about from whether it's a business side or the content marketing piece or anything else you want to share with the audience before I, uh, I let you go? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just one thing that I want to leave people with is that good things take time. Um, uh, a lot of the things that I put into place, like, for example, Vizme, they're 13 years old. And so it's taken time over a decade to get to this point. And so I wouldn't get discouraged if you start implementing a lot of this and won't immediately bear fruit. It's mm-hmm. like a garden, right? You're planting these seeds and you're watering them. And, and so it's going to take time. But if you do things right 
over an extended period of time, uh, it's bound to be successful. <laughs> it's yeah. almost guaranteed. It's just a matter of how much resources you have to shorten that time period. Uh, so, um, so yeah, that's all I can say. So it's not a get rich quick type deal. Yeah. It's it's more of a hard work and hustle for a long period of time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good advice for anyone and in, in anything they're doing. So I uh, appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you coming on. This was, like I said, really good. A lot of good insight here. I think folks can uh, take away. Where can they say hello to you online? Where's the best uh, best spots for you? Yep. So my name is Farzad Rashidi. Aren't a whole lot of us uh, on LinkedIn. So that's the best place to find me personally. And the name of our company is Respana, R-E-S-P-O-N-A.com. And if folks want to learn more about it, that's that's our website. Awesome. Farzad, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's a lot of fun. No problem. Thanks for having me, Brian. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.